this world is filled with hatred and strife. We have a great deal of love and warmth and unity in God's church, but there's not that way out in the world. And most of you have just heard, of course, as you read the news about the terrible sufferings of people being uh, threatened and beheaded, tortured, crucified over in Iraq and Iran and Syria and all those Middle Eastern countries. We know that in vast areas of Africa, people are being kidnapped, mass rapes, tortures, all kinds of things that are the communist regimes out in, in China and elsewhere. This world is a mess. When you read about it, it's really awful. So we are very grateful to be here still in a safe place, in a reasonably good society, but with these terrible sins that are growing rapidly in our nation, it's not going to remain like that. And we just recently, as you know, we've had all this stuff on the news, and the news media seems to be wanting to play it up, play it up, make it exciting. It gets them more viewers. But they just go on and on and on, not about the hundreds or thousands of people that are being killed and tortured and everything else elsewhere, but whatever's happening in Ferguson, Missouri, or in New York City, where a jury lets go, or, you know, a big uh, grand, uh, uh, mind, anyway, this great big assembled group of lawyers and leaders, they let go these people, these preachers, these uh, policemen that had killed these people. And, of course, the people, as one of our leaders told me the other day, got a special TV about the man in New York was killed and probably should not have been killed, but when you got all the facts that came out on CNN, they released this, which they probably sorry they did, but it showed the same man had been arrested for that same kind of thievery 30 times. 30 times! He was stealing and stealing all over again, and they showed how these policemen tried to reason with him, say, surrender, we're arresting you, you're under arrest. He didn't pay attention. He was going to go ahead pushing at them, getting ready to hit them. He did not surrender to them, as we're told to do, to obey the law. And so they finally had to get rougher and rougher, and maybe they got too rough. But in those kinds of situations, you've got to be willing to see the other side of the picture. Brethren, and our black brethren, and brown brethren, and those of you who are, who are other minorities, Latinos, do you want your son, do you want your grandson to be a policeman in this society? Think about it. And get say, you're under arrest. And the guy, I'm not under arrest. I'll punch your face out. And they come right back at them like that. At what time, at what point, do you just let them go and keep like that? Or do you have to do something to stop them and be sure they are under arrest? You say there were some bad things happened there. I'm not the judge of that. I don't know all the facts. We do know that a lot more keeps coming out. And these grand juries, that's the term I forgot, the grand juries heard, in one case, 50 hours of testimony, a cross-section of society, and let this man go, and the policeman who was trying to arrest the person, the person would not be arrested. So we've got to understand this is Satan's world, and the police sometimes overreact. But the criminals also times overreact. And the main thing is, brethren, as we get toward the end of this age, we need to realize that we are now being trained by Christ to be kings and priests in a whole different society. And we've got to learn to get all the facts before we make our judgment. And we have got to learn to be fair and impartial. Say, well, he was a different race or he was a different religion, so I'm automatically going to be against him. No, 
we whites must not always take the white man's side, and you blacks must not always take the black man's side, and the Latinos must not always take their side, or whoever we are. If it's something about women's lib, you women have got to learn, no, you don't always take their side, as I know a lot of you already understand that. You don't like what these people are pumping out and pumping out, telling the young women to do this and do that. That's completely contrary to nature in many cases. But we have got to remember that we are Christians. We're not people of this world. And Christ is preparing us for a tremendous responsibility to be kings and priests in his kingdom forever. So we want to realize that we've got to be careful how we feel and react to homosexuals and homosexuality, to same-sex marriage. I'm against it. I hate it. We could say, well, we do. But on the other hand, those people are not necessarily any worse in their attitude than some of us might have been 5 or 20 or 65 years ago, depending on who we are, before God called us. We might have been overtaken by sin. And we need to realize that and have mercy, as God tells us, try to understand and not judge them harshly in a wrong way. We've got to be sure how we feel about abortion. Abortion is murder. You can call her a mother or you can call her, excuse me, uh, uh, anyway, she has the right over her body and this type of thing. But does she have the right to kill that child in her body? We know all that's wrong. But we've got to have God's attitude toward, uh, toward uh, immigration. Should we allow millions of undocumented aliens to come in and take over our country and have to pay them all these things? It's hard to know all the facts. And some among us in God's church are Latinos that we know and love very dearly. We don't want to hurt them. And all these people out there may have relatives here too. So we've got to be very careful before we judge. And our job is not to judge the world now. Our judge is to try to have and learn what is called in the Bible, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, so that when we do judge, when we are spirit beings that don't have our prejudice that we're either white or black or yellow or whatever, or male and female, we will not be any of those things. We will be glorified spirit beings who will have learned in this age and now will be in a completely different level of existence. We will be in a transcendent state from what we are now. And we will have learned to be fair, to judge rightly, and everything like that. God is preparing us, as you know, it says back in Revelation 2.26, He who overcomes, I will place as a ruler over the cities of this world, and so on. Revelation 5, verse 10, the saints will be made kings and priests and rule on the earth. Revelation 5.10, that's our goal. Are you, brethren, each one of you learning to see the big picture in all these situations and to judge wisely? We've got to learn to judge wisely, and we've also got to learn that it's not our job to make some final decision now in this life anyway on all those things because we are not on the grand jury. We have not heard 50 hours of testimony. We do not yet know all the facts. And certainly we're not spirit beings in God's kingdom to even read the hearts of people. So we could get a general idea and realize this world is wrong, this world is mixed up, and God says, come out of Babylon, my people. This world is Babylon, and we are to come out of that Babylon. 
And I don't want to be part of some grand jury or some police group that's beating up on people. And I don't want to be part of some abortion clinic that's killing little babies. But on the other hand, I can't judge every poor mixed up girl who gets herself pregnant and scared to death and doesn't know what to do. God knows her heart. And her heart may not be perfect and her understanding may not be perfect. But on the other hand, she might not be is not as wicked as you and I would be if we did the same thing because God has called us. We know better. That scared kid may not know better. And we need to take that into consideration. It's not our job to judge right now. So we need to constantly think about that and with all our heart learn to have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Do you really have the mind of Christ? You sitting here in this room and you brethren around the world, every one of us needs to build through God's Spirit within us the mind of Christ. Learn, turn with me back to 1 Corinthians, if you would. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians, brethren, and uh, chapter 6 at this point, something that's very familiar or should be because I used this scripture many, many times, but it's very pertinent to what we're talking about here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Why would you go down the road to some carnal judge who doesn't even know God and has no knowledge of God's way of life. Why would you do that? Do you not know that we, that is we in the church of God, we saints of God, we ministers of God, are going to judge the world? And if the world, the whole world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things pertaining to this life? We ought to be able to make judgments about things in the church. That's what he's talking about here, as you'll see. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint, or some commentaries point out, the emphasis, the way it's worded, why do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Why do you appoint those who are not even in the church, who are totally worldly, and have them be your judges? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? So God is using us to learn to make wise decisions in this life in the church. We're not trying to rule the world now, and we should be trying to do it. We can have an idea. We're not to get our back up, as we say, and get all mad if some people in the world make a wrong judgment on some grand jury or someone in the Congress does something, or our president does something we disagree with. Well, I don't like him. Well, lots of people don't like our present leaders. We know that. They're making mistakes. But if we were totally carnal and didn't have God's Spirit, we'd be making mistakes too. Be honest. If we had that responsibility, we would be making mistakes. So it's not our job to judge them. It is our job to judge problems within the church and we're being trained to judge much bigger problems by that. Let's turn now to Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 2. Turn to the second chapter of Philippians, brethren. And now I'm going to begin reading here in chapter 2 and verse 3. Paul tells the brethren, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind... This is the context. As Christians in general, be humble. Realize we don't know everything. 
We're just worms in this little ball out of space. The great God of creation has made us in his image and he wants us to learn the mind of Christ and to be like him someday. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem the others better than himself. Let each one of you look not only for his own interests. Don't be, here's what I like. Here's what I think. Don't go around feeling that so quickly all the time. Learn to think before you speak. Learn to think before, consider before you get all opinionated about something. Don't have a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, those terrible judges, those terrible grand juries, or these terrible white men, or terrible black men, or whoever they are. A knee-jerk reaction. Wait a minute. Think I'm here. They're over there. They don't know what I know. And so we've got to be able to think from God's point of view. I'll tell you, if God judged like some of us do, we'd all be dead. You know that. He'd have wiped us all out because we have wrong thoughts going through our mind. I do occasionally. I think, wow, I don't like this or that. And my first reaction is sometimes carnal. And then I have to repent of that and say, no, I shouldn't even think like that, let, let alone say that. So look out for the interests of others, not just our own interests. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's my theme, obviously. The mind, have the mind of Christ. As a church, we've got to have more than ever in this mixed-up age the mind of Christ. And the Bible, my brethren, as I've told you many times, the Bible is God's mind, Christ's mind in print. Christ is the Word. He's given that title, the Logos, the revelatory principle, and this is Christ in print. This is the way he thinks. You say, well, the Old Testament tells us some bad things. No, it doesn't. The Old Testament has some things that were not authorized in the New Testament and were to allow the New Testament to magnify the Old Testament. He magnified the Word and made it according to God's Spirit. But people, you're dealing with carnal minds. And sometimes when ancient Israel went into the areas of the pagans and the heathens who were torturing one another, who were taking, as you see, these uh, pyramids just north or south. I think it's north of Mexico City. I've been there a couple times. Mr. Hernandez could probably tell you more of the details, but I've heard the guides tell about it. They used to take these young virgins. I thought when you think of that, you think of a beautiful young 18-year-old woman. So some of them were taking little girls, just 6, 8, 10 years old. They'd take them up on that top point where they had this fire pit, and they would literally stab them and cut their heart right out and hold the bleeding heart up like this before the flames of the pagan gods. They had a whole bunch of people there that were doing that where they brought them in to where the people were living in the ancient times that God took those lands and gave to Israel. God said, wipe them out. They're filled with that. That's the way they think, the way they are. We can say, well, God, that's not fair. Yes, it is fair. Again, if you understand something, only this church understands. The great white throne judgment. Those people were steeped in rape and murder and violence and torture. Their mind is filled with that. He said, I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to put them in pink file 13. And when the great white judgment comes, he'll tell the angel, punch pink the pink file, they all come up. Billions of them in a new world. And they will be given an opportunity to learn the truth. So you have to think of the whole picture. Think of the big picture. That's why God let ancient Israel come in and exterminate the Canaanites in certain areas. He didn't hate them as human beings. He just knew their whole society was absolutely 
rotten, vile, and so he sometimes wiped them out. And by accident, God allowed the people on the Lusitania to go down. He allowed the people on the Titanic and that terrible big shipwreck where they went down because he let this world go its own way for 6,000 years. He wasn't mad at them any more than anyone else. But he lets men go their own way and learn their own lesson. We've always tried to, we should always try to think of it from the point of view of the great God who sits at the controls of the universe way out there in the heavens who gives us life and breath and who's going to make us in his image fully someday. And he's trying to do that now. If we will pray, if we will study this book, which is the mind of God in print and learn to think like Christ, to think like Christ and have the mind of Christ so then he could give us a glorified spirit body. Christ is to be Romans 8, verse 29. Romans 8, 29 Christ is to be the firstborn, the firstborn of many brethren. We're going to be with him. We're going to have that same glory, but we have to learn to have Christ's mind before we're given that kind of power. We must learn those lessons. And so God is putting us here in this pagan society, this whole pagan world, to learn <clears throat> those lessons. And we want to really try to do that with all of our hearts. So we want to think about that. Let this mind be in you and then tell how Christ came and humbled himself even to the point of death of the cross. One of the most slow, embarrassing, humiliating ways to be killed, to be up sometimes partly or stark naked on occasion. And, and, and they let you hang there until your kidneys explode, until your organs explode from the inside and burst right through the stomach wall. And you hang there rotting for days at a time. God let Christ's death be mercifully slow, mercifully quick, I mean. He just hung there six hours. I think it was God who put it in the mind of that young man. I used to think it was an Italian who killed Christ. No, not necessarily. We don't want to blame the Italians. We don't want him the Jews. We don't blame God allowed these things. The, the Roman army had conscript soldiers from all over the earth. We don't know who that young man was. And maybe Christ was groaning with pain, as you would be. And suddenly this young man said, oh, shut up, and wham, he rammed his fear in his side. God probably put it in his mind to do that at the right time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the evening sacrifice. And Christ yelled with pain, as you would be, as fear was in, rammed in, and blood and urine came pouring out of his side. And his kidneys burst, his stomach burst. And he yelled. And he said, it is finished. And he died. He who had been God, he who created you and me and everything we have around us, he died to pay for our sins and was willing to do that. That is the mind of Christ. He wants us in his kingdom. He's willing to give up his life. He's willing to go through suffering so we can be like he is. He teaches the attitude of total service, of total sacrifice in these examples have this mind, therefore God has also highly exalted him, verse 9, and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things on earth, and those under the earth. God has greatly exalted him, and he wants to exalt us too, if we will learn to have that same mind so he could put us out on Pluto, he could put us out on Saturn. He could put us out on Alpha Centauri, some great planet out there somewhere. And he will know what we will do because we have shown him over and over and over in this life 
by praying to God, perhaps with tears on her eyes, on her knees, Father, rebuke, chasten, clean me up, scrub me out. Please help me learn every lesson. I want to think like you are. I want to be like you are. Help me with your spirit. And if we do that, he will help us have, as we grow in grace and we grow in knowledge, he will help us have the mind of Christ so we can think like Christ and so we can be part of that ruling kingdom of tomorrow and tomorrow's world. Turn with me now back, if you would, at this point uh, to, rep to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, brethren. And I want to uh, try to find that here quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Sometimes we think we can judge the president. Sometimes we judge the Democrats. Well, we don't like those Democrats. They just want to give things away to these people that won't work. And we don't like the Republicans, others, because they're too stingy and they won't give everything away. And they come down too hard on the other side sometimes. And so we judge them. Well, we don't know all the facts in each one of these cases, so we're not fit to judge them now. And Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Judge not that you be not judged. And the margin says in some of the commentaries, the particular wording here in Greek can mean condemn. That seems to be the way it's worded here. It doesn't mean just have opinion. It means condemn not that you be not condemned. We must not condemn judge so-and-so or representative so-and-so or senator so-and-so in the Congress. We don't know all the facts. We do know he's blinded. He does not understand the truth anyway. So he's not necessarily any more evil than all the other people out around the street. Don't be judging. Don't be condemning. That's not our judge. Job For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Here you've got a great big two-by-four in your eyes, so to speak, some great big sin of constant hate and vanity and rebellion and lust, and you're judging this person about something he did that may not be near as bad. You better overcome yourself first. So first remove this plank from your own eye before you look, judge the other person, and so on. So we're to learn those lessons. We're not to judge others. We're not to condemn others too quickly. We're to learn to have, overall, the mind of Christ in everything we think and everything we say and everything we do and really feel that. Let's turn to chapter 22 here now. Matthew, at this point, chapter 22. I'm turning to the 22nd chapter for a big picture thing that you always had better profoundly learn and understand. What is the big picture? Matthew 22, beginning there, verse 35. One of the Pharisees and, and Sadducees came, and a lawyer in this case asked Christ a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What is the big picture? What is the most important thing we're to learn in this life? Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Think of him, the great creator up there beyond the heavens, his face blazing like the sun, whose voice booms across the earth like rolling thunder, the God who made us male and female, the God who gives us little children, 
the God who protects us, who guides us, who feeds us, who clothes us, who have mercy on us, the God who's patiently working with us and making us like He is. That great God, appreciate everything He's doing so you can thank Him heartfelt in detail for everything He's done, for everything He is doing, for everything He is going to do in saving His church and saving you and making us everlasting beings kings and priests in his coming government over this earth. Worship him, adore him. As you see the glory of the heavens, thank that great God who made all that beauty. As you hear some beautiful music, thank God who made that. You see some gorgeous little child, thank God who made that possible. Every good and every perfect gift comes from that God. Worship him. Sometimes young people scream and yell and worship some rock star or athletic star, or whatever, that adulation ought to be get, take, put toward God himself and toward Christ, who is the Son of God. We don't often do that in our society. We should in the right way a lot more. As I've told you, when I was over in Rome with Dick Armstrong, back in 1954, we entered Castel Gandolfo in the, the inner court where these peasants were there. Mostly were peasants, but not all of them, some very famous dignitaries. It was the Pope's summer residence. And the Pope came out finally on the balcony after they built, built up. They'd bring this out and this out and this out, build up the suspense. And finally, when he came out, they screamed. And women were screaming and shaking and crying. And their tears and their nostrils were going right down on their breasts. They were often not bare-breasted, but they were very lightly dressed peasant women. And they were shaking. Their God had appeared on that balcony. Viva, Papa, Viva! They were screaming and crying. We don't do that today. We don't need to do that necessarily in that same way. But we ought to have a profound feeling toward the great God who made us and gives us life and everything we have and say, Father in heaven, I worship you. I adore you. I want to really give my life to you. Help me do that more and have a profound feeling for God to worship him with all our heart and strength and mind. And then the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, not just barely love him, but really love him as yourself. You think of this young man who's maybe white or black or yellow. It doesn't make any difference. He's a human being. Think if I were in his situation, I might have a lot of problems if I never had a normal family, if I never had a normal education. Here's a fellow human being made in the image of God. As some of you men see young men, see a young woman, don't think, well, here's a pretty sex object. No, this is, you know, my granddaughter. Or some of your granddaughter, this is a child of God. I want to, her in God's kingdom and I want to love her in the right way as a Christian. And if God calls her to be my wife, that's good. But in the meantime, I better love her as a fellow human being and not lust after her like a sex object. Father, clean up my mind. Scrub me out. Clean me up. Help me be like you are. We should be praying in all those areas of our lives to think like God thinks. Learn to have the mind of Christ. And God wants us to have that. And to then love God with all of our being. And to genuinely love our neighbor as ourselves. And with God's help we can grow in grace and knowledge toward that. And that's what we should do very, very profoundly. Brethren, 
So let's learn the big picture is to love God with all of our being and then to really put ourselves inside the skin of the other person as best we can and think, here's a fellow human being and I want to love him. I want to help him. I want to help or encourage her. I want to protect her like she were my own daughter, like she were my own sister. I know it helps me sometimes to look at some really pretty 17 to 27-year-old young woman around and it, I used to have evil thoughts. Sorry to admit that, but I was very human. <laughs> I never walk around in a cloud. But now I'm a great-grandfather. I've got six children and ten grandchildren and four great-grandchildren. And I've got three beautiful great-granddaughters. One of them was here recently. Some of you saw her, Bria. I have another beautiful little granddaughter back in Kansas City named Meredith. And I thought, Wow! I used to dislike that when women would name their their girls Meredith. That was my name. That's supposed to be Don Meredith of the Dallas Cowboys. But suddenly these women started to say Meredith, and that bugged me. And suddenly my granddaughter, who apparently didn't get the message, she named her daughter Meredith, my great-granddaughter. She was very pretty the last time I saw her. I haven't seen her for a while, so she's probably even prettier. I thought, well, that makes it okay. <laughs> my granddaughter, great-granddaughter is named Meredith. It changes your whole perspective. I see some young sexy girl on TV or wherever it is, and I think that could be my granddaughter, or in some cases that could be my great-granddaughter. And some of you guys will grow up, and you may have that same experience. It kind of changes your perspective if you learn to think like that. Love your neighbor as yourself and try to be a right judge with objectively about things, whatever your sex whatever your racial, ethnic background, whatever, love all your neighbors. And then let's turn, if you would at this point, to Deuteronomy. Turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, which is part of the Word of God. And remember again, brethren, as Mr. Nathan referred to it indirectly, but the Bible is the mind of God. Jesus said, Luke 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word of this book. And Jesus constantly referred to the Old Testament as the Word of God. So here is the Word of God to ancient Israel. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 15, I took the head of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, is it wrong to have men as the leaders? No, God always did that. God's not against women. They're made in God's image, but he always chose men as the leaders. Part of the mind of God, if you understand it. And made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, hundreds, tens, officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Here are the causes or cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who was with him. And sometimes that stranger meant an alien, a person of another race. Be fair. Be fair to everyone. You shall not show partiality to in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You're to hear the poor man just as well as you do the rich man. You're not to be bought off by these big shot business leaders or government politicians or liars. You're not to be bought off by people that bribe. You shall not be afraid of any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring it to me, and I will hear it. So Almighty God commanded these men to be fair and to get the facts as they judged ancient Israel. 
So we've got to learn to be like that in this life as best we can with God's help. Now let's turn, if you would, to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. And I want to turn to chapter 18, Proverbs 18 and uh, verse 12. Proverbs 18. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. This is a little indirect, but I'm just reading this. It fits into what we've got to learn. Don't think you know all the answers you don't know. The heart of man is haughty. And before honor is humility. If God's going to honor you, you better learn to be humble first and realize you don't know everything and you've got to be careful. Verse uh, 13 now. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. So don't judge the jury or the grand jury back in Ferguson, Missouri. You weren't even there. You don't know. You just know what little bit and piece that the Hollywood influence media lets you have. Then later they'll reveal a little bit more and a little bit more to let you know the other side of the picture. But you don't know the whole thing. You can't judge that. You're not fit to judge that. See, I believe this. On what basis? You haven't even been there. You don't know that. So you can't know all these other things either. Even if some black man does something, he comes in and kills people and does this and that. We know that. But we don't know the background of some of these young men who never had a normal home. They never had teaching. They never had anything. So they get in the gang and do something in a moment of peak. Is that wrong? Yes, it's wrong. But they're not necessarily a lot worse than you or I might have been if we had been there in their shoes. So we're not judging them now. We're aware of the fact that what they're doing may be lawless. We're aware of the fact they probably need to repent, but we do not need to pronounce a final judgment on anyone, anyone, because we are not God. We are yet human, and we do not yet have all the facts. And so we must not judge in a wrong way. So we've got to learn to get the answers, to get the facts before we make a judgment. Don't have this knee-jerk judgment, a knee-jerk reaction. Just bang, I think this right now. This is bad or good or whatever I think. Well, not necessarily so. They had this old song when I was growing up, it ain't necessarily so. And that's true. Don't get that feeling. You've got to be sure. Again, how hard it is for a young man, white or black or Latino, to be a policeman in our society. Would you want to be that? If you let the criminal go, then they're going to get you. And if you restrain him, and he's a great big guy, bigger than you, and he practically kills you or could kill you because he's so much bigger than you are, then how do you restrain him? Or do you let it? You just let down your hands and let him kill you or injure you for life? It's a hard choice. You're in a bad case. Of course, God tells Christians you shouldn't even be in that kind of job in the first place. But you know what I mean. There are some sincere policemen that think they're doing good and they're protecting society. And so they have a very hard job. I would not want my son, I would not want my grandson to be a policeman. It's not, in a, we're not in a fair society today. It's putting an unfair burden on him, no matter who's involved, black, white, yellow, male, female, whatever. It's a very difficult thing. Like this girl up here at Duke University who charged these young men with raping her, and it came out later that, they, that she'd been a sort of a semi prostitute before they had not raped her at all and they had to let these young men go 
A lot of liars around. Liars all through our society. You've got to get the facts before you make your judgment. So we do need to have that attitude to be sure of what we're doing and not have a knee-jerk reaction, but be humble, be patient, and try to ask God to work it out where each side of the situation learns the lessons God wants them to learn. And then in the meantime, this is not our society. Learn back. Now let's turn back to Philippians, if you would. This would be Philippians. Uh, I'm going to turn back there where I first turned, if I can find my mark here. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians, brethren, chapter 3. And I want to begin reading in verse 17. He says, Brethren, join in following my example. Philippians chapter 3. Here's the Apostle Paul. And he was so close to God, not that he was perfect, but he could make that statement. Follow my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So follow the Christian leaders, if they're truly teaching the truth, to the degree that we follow Christ. I'm sure Paul followed Christ a lot closer than most of us. For many walk, of whom I have told you before, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Some people come in among us and try to get people all confused about these things, about the book of Enoch, and therefore we can, angels can marry women. Just crazy stuff. They're in there to just get followers. Often that's their motive. There's no other reason they would come in with that kind of thing. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. They want followers. They want attention and sometimes they would like to split the church or get their own little church. We found that through the decades. I'm not saying every one of them who comes up with some crazy idea has that, but often, as I've said in my 62 years in the ministry, that uh, that is, is often the case. For our citizenship is in heaven. Where is our ultimate citizenship? We're not totally American in certain ways. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven but from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body. We will be a glorified spirit being. We will not be male or female. We will not be white or black or old or young. We will be a glorified spirit being, and our mind will be transformed where we can have total impartiality, total knowledge. So we will be like Christ, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. So remember, our citizenship is not here. Our ultimate loyalty is not toward the Democrats or Republicans or toward the men or the women or the black or the whites or anything else. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, in the government of God, which is coming to come back to this earth, on this earth, through Jesus Christ. We're constantly think of ourselves. We are Christians. We are not part of this world. We have come out of this world. Our ultimate loyalty is to God and to Christ, and so we're to learn to think like that and be like that in every way we possibly can. Now let's go, if you would, to Galatians uh, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, brethren. 
and verse 28, Paul writes, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now again, you need to understand that the way the Bible itself interprets it. Does that mean since we're not male or female, we should all use the same restroom? No. Does that mean men can marry men since we're neither male nor female and women should marry? Well, no, the whole Bible doesn't say that. But in a spiritual sense, in God's church, we're all equal before God. We're all forgiven sinners before God are all going to have the same reward. In this life, there are certain differences. But we're to have a feeling of brotherhood. We're all spiritual Jews. We're all spiritually circumcised and have that feeling no matter who we are, what our background is. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, if you would turn there now, at Ephesians now, and turn to chapter 5 of Ephesians. <clears throat> and notice in verse 21, here he's kind of summarizing some things, submitting yourself to one another in the fear of God. All of us are submit to one another. And I'm to learn to submit to Dr. Winnell when he's right about something. I'm to submit to Mr. Ames or any of our other ministers if I find they're right. That doesn't mean to say, well, I'm, I'm the presiding evangelist and my opinion's always right. And so that's not so. I know one of our new members that came with us from this other fellowship was with us recently in a series of meetings in my office. Very successful young man. I say young, younger than me. <laughs> I think he must be about 55 or 60. But he is very intelligent. And he was amazed. He said, I've never sat in a meeting like this where, you know, you could just all give input and everybody was received with respect and their opinions listened to. He was used to being in another attitude where the leader thought he knew everything and put everyone else down. He was very appreciative of the openness in our meetings. And, of course, I hope he talked to the others. In fact, I told him to do that. That was not an unusual meeting. That's the way we always do. We try to listen to one another and learn from one another, submit to one another. Sometimes the leader has to make a final decision but after hearing others, they're not just putting them down or scaring them or overriding them or threatening them. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You all women, you know this is not politically correct. But God tells you that in the Bible. What is the mind of God? Wives, you ought to have enough knowledge and you young women before you marry. Are you going to wait until the man is perfect? No, you won't find any perfect man. I've told some of our young women that who are waiting for Mr. Perfect to come along. There ain't no such animal, I'm sorry. <laughs> the only perfect man was here 2,000 years ago whose name was Jesus of Nazareth. No other man has been perfect or will be. But on the other hand, you'd better be sure that he's really conquered by God, that he's fully filled with God's Spirit, that he really wants to do God's will with all of his heart, and he will be a loving, kind, steady, loyal husband who will, in the fear of God, lead the family. And most of you women want that. I know that I've talked to many. That's what they want. They're not against that. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, all of us are subject to Christ and look to him in awe and should do. 
So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, every aspect of life. Husbands, love your wives just as the Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He loved the church so much. And you young women, I mean men, and you older men who have wives, try to help your, ask God to help you be a better husband and a more kind and thoughtful husband. Generally say, this beautiful young woman, I used to tell my wife Cheryl, she was my teenage bride. She was already in her 30s when I married her because she always seemed so much younger than me, so she never was able to catch up with me. And I was so grateful she left her father and mother and my first wife, Jim's mother, Margie, left her father and mother, came to help me. And I thank God for that. And you need to show that deep appreciation that they were willing to come and be your helper the rest of their natural lives and submit to you and greet them kindly, treat them lovingly, treat them with respect as fellow human beings, having a mind of their own, having great understanding and talents they can contribute to the success of the family. So be sure that you love them. And he, he wanted his church to be like that. For this reason, verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So notice, a man is to marry a woman, and that's what the Bible indicates all the way through, and not marry another man. This is the mind of God. This is what God thinks about those things, and we need to really understand that. You turn to Matthew 19, Matthew 19 and verse 7. Matthew 19, the Pharisees came testing Jesus in verse 3 and saying, Is it awful to divorce your wife? And he answered and said, Have you read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? God made us different for a purpose. He made them male and female and said, For this cause. Why? For the reason that he made us male and female he then invented marriage. Not because we're male and male, because we're male and female. Therefore, he made his marriage because the man was created to be the leader, the woman to be the help, as you read in the Old Testament. And so he made them then. And for this reason, a man is to be joined to his wife and the two shall become flesh, one flesh. So then they are no more considered two persons in that sense. Therefore, God has, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And man is not to break up marriages. It's a very sacred thing in God's sight. Back in Leviticus, again, which is part of the mind of God, turn back to the book of Leviticus, if you would, brethren, chapter 18. <coughs> Leviticus chapter 18 and let's begin reading here in verse uh, showing how they were doing back in that pagan society surrounding Israel. Leviticus 18.21 You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. They were literally letting some of their little children be burned alive to these pagan gods. Nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. Profaning the name of God seems like a small thing. But God puts that right in with there. If we begin to profane the name of God and our young men in this church, you, you know, 
use cuss words using God's name and then God's name is treated cheaply. One thing leads to the other to the other and pretty soon it will lead to you knows what. God knows that. Don't let it start anywhere. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. God hates that. He has made a woman's beautiful body to be the mate for the man, to be the mother of the man's wife. She's created like that. That's not something nasty. That's something wonderful. It's not to be laughed at or treated at funny in some sex joke, but don't ever lie with a man as a woman. That is an abomination to God himself who made us male and female, and both of us are in God's image. You shall not mate with any beast. Our modern society, I'm not trying to exaggerate, brethren, this is already beginning to happen over in Germany and elsewhere. A lot of people will say, you know how the liberals talk, well, we should have love. Oh, we just love everybody. We should just have love. So if you love this man, go ahead and let him use some part of your body instead of a woman because you love him. No, that's not love. That's a perversion. It is not loving him. It's lust. And God calls it a perversion in the Bible. But then some say, well, if you love your dog, this wonderful dog, you just love him so much, what's wrong with mating with your animal? That's the next step. And they're already starting that. The human mind under the influence of Satan, the devil, that Satan is busy. I'm not being nasty. I'm telling you what's happened in the past in many nations as they went down. It's already starting to happen in our society today. I remember Raymond Cole way back when I was back in New York for the Passover season in 1964. He gave a very powerful sermon because of some article he'd read in the new, one of the New York papers showing how there were 5,000 women in greater New York City who had their dogs as their mates. And he bellowed out about that. He was one of our evangelists back then, for those of you who don't know. And apparently the, uh, this investigative reporter had found all these women who were in that kind of perversion even back then. Probably many more today. You say, how could that happen? Well, it's happening right now. Don't lie with the beast. Human beings under Satan's influence will go anywhere. This book is the mind of God in print. Have the mind of Christ. Then you could say, God says this is bad. It's not your opinion. It's God's opinion. It's not you judging. You're not condemning the other person saying, I'm going to send you to hell or I'm going to kill you. But you're showing it's wrong, and don't be afraid to say that. Perversion is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. Marrying men, marrying women is an abomination. Men marrying men, I mean. And here is people defiling themselves by lying down with the beast. So God says, don't do those things. And he says in verse 24, do not defile yourself with any of these things. Notice, for by all these the nations are defiled which I am casting out before you because the nation is defiled because of this rottenness and I'll vomit it out of my mouth. That's the way God feels about that kind of abomination. It's not something interesting. It's something abominable to our Creator who made us in His image and we're to learn to think like He thinks and honor Him and all of that. Back in Second Peter, if you turn back there with me to Second Peter, just before the book of Jude, as Mr. Nathan pointed out. And I ran out of markers, or oh, did. I couldn't mark it the same way. It can't be quite as fast. 
Back in 2 Peter, let's turn here, if you would, to chapter 2 at verse 4. God, God tells Peter, speaks through Peter, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus, his place of restraint, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and who did not spare the ancient city, the world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a teacher of righteousness. What is righteousness? You all know that. What is righteousness? Psalm 172. Psalm 119, I mean, verse 72. Righteousness is God's commandments. All thy commandments are righteousness. So he was a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He burned them alive. That's what God thinks of that kind of behavior. When a man has sex with another man, the normal legal term in the past, if they haven't changed it, is sodomy. That's the term they use in the courts. Until recently, I guess they still do sodomy. Man using another man's body for sex. It comes from this very thing, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction. Why? Making them an example to those who afterward live ungodly. That's an example for us. And that's an example for these perverts in these big cities who get into that. God helped them to wake up. And we should write articles and preach sermons as best we can to help them understand it and come out. But we're not to hate them. We're not to hate them. We're to realize they're blind. They need help. And maybe the main help we can give them now is just a warning. But later on, we'll be there in the great white throne judgment. And they will come up. A lot of them will be scared. And we may have to put our arm around them and say, it's okay. We're here to teach you the truth. There is a real God that you never knew about. This is what that God says. And at that time, most of them will listen. Most of them will listen. We can help them. We don't hate them. They're not called yet. Remember, we're called now. They are not called yet. They will be called in the great white throne judgment. So brethren, remember always the scripture I give you and want to keep giving you again and again and again, as Franklin Roosevelt would say, turn back to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 in your New Testament. And notice what John says back here, what Christ says in verse 53. John 6, 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You've got to have the mind of Christ. You've got to drink in of Christ. You've got to feed on Christ. You've got to learn to feel and to think and to act like Christ in every facet of your life. Then you're fit to judge. Then you're fit to be in God's government, to rule over cities and nations and perhaps even entire planets or galaxies later on drink in of christ he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me this is the key verse 54 you abide in christ and i in him christ lives in you as the living father sent men to live because of the father so he who feeds on me if you feed on christ you will live because of me you will live forever you will be a judge all right judged millions and maybe billions of people later on through eternity because you will have learned to have the mind of Christ. 
to think like Christ, to judge like Christ, to act like Christ. That is what we've got to learn to do in this life, brethren. So let's prepare. That's why we're here. That's why the great God of the universe has called you now to be those kings and priests in tomorrow's world and to rule the world, to judge the world in righteousness because in this world you've been willing to really study, to pray to God on your knees, to cry out for understanding, to follow this book, to try with your heart and with the help of God's Spirit to live by every word of God and to have truly the mind of Christ.